I'd like you to open your Bible this morning to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. I want to conclude our teaching on union with Christ. I think it's important. I think it's eye-opening, just the very title, because you can ask yourself the question, if you're a listening person, when you hear something from the Lord, you ask yourself, do I do this? How does this apply to me? How do I make this what I do? Why do I not want to do this? Why am I lagging back? Why am I turning my head the other way when I read obvious things in the Word? God wants to draw me out of the world so he doesn't have to judge us and bring us into fellowship with him. Fellowship means oneness. Union is unity. We've already looked at a lot of that in the New Testament. It's one of the central themes of the New Testament because it's not only how we personally are supposed to relate to Christ, but also the effect of that relationship with Christ affects how we relate to each other. If we don't have union with Christ, we're just a meeting of a bunch of people that are just going about our own ways and trying to get along. But when we have relationship with Jesus, when this whole system of transformation is taking place in us and we're becoming more like him, growing up in him and all things and so forth, we begin to have this harmony amongst us, one accord, one purpose. But that's what union is all about. It's what God wants. And in 1 John 1, 7, it says it like this, if we walk in the light. Now, what is the light? It's the revelation that God gives of the way a Christian should live. Are you with me? Thy word is a light unto my path. A path is what I follow. It's where I'm going. So light is direction. Light is a revelation of the way God wants you to live, the way he wants you to go. If we walk in the light as he is the light, this is what happens amongst us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We read these things and we let it slide. We don't think about it, but it says if. It begins with that, if. If we walk in the light, if we're living by what we're hearing, not everybody does, somebody will. So the proclamation is to whoever wants to hear, and then you make the decision because that's how you live. You live by choices. But if you're willing to walk in the light, conducting your affairs by that light that he gives you, then, does your Bible say, then we have fellowship with one another? Then is it possible that the reason that a lot of churches don't get along with each other or they don't fellowship with each other in the context here is because they themselves are not walking in the light they've been given? Hello? Let me read it again, and I'm not trying to make this profound, but it is. It really is, because it does give revelation or it exposes maybe why churches just don't get along. If we walk in the light as he is the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin and so forth. But we have to walk in the light. I think that's why as the more you submit yourself into the Lord... The more you draw nigh to God, the more he draws nigh to you. And the more you fellowship with him, the more you realize what you've got to let go of and give way to. If we are all doing this, we're all giving way to the same thing. So there will be a oneness amongst us. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not easy. 
This is not an easy life. It's not an easy walk. It's easy to say the right things. It's easy to assemble and hear those things. But putting into practice or living the life, or as he calls it here, walking this way has never been easy. It's not supposed to be easy because there's going to be a time of a cross and a sacrifice and so forth. Now, concerning fellowship, let me give you two particularly outstanding facts about fellowship with Christ or with God. One, it is all of God who brings us into fellowship. We cannot, by an act of our will, just fellowship with God. He has to draw us into this. Listen at these words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul wrote, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son. The call that we've all experienced to come out of darkness and come to the Lord and assemble together, it's designed, if we're reading this right, if we're rightly dividing this, it's designed is that we are called into the fellowship of his Son to relate to Jesus. Are you with me? That our relationship out of the world is to relate to Jesus. And that's not easy. But that's what we're called to do. And the more, as I've already said, we relate to him, the more we relate to each other. So it's God who calls us unto fellowship. Or remember in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear his voice, you can't just all of a sudden hear his voice when you're ready for it or when you want to. It's when he knocks. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? But he stands at the door and he knocks. And when he knocks, it's up to us to be willing to open the door. And if we are willing to open the door, then the Bible says he comes in. Now, that's a picture of fellowship to sup with us. Sup means the evening meal or supper. That's where best fellowship in a family usually is supposed to take place at the family meal. But we're so busy with sports and routines and activities at school, very few families eat together anymore. But anyway, fellowship around a meal is a good way to do it. And Jesus said, if you'll open the door when I knock and let me in, you and I will eyeball each other and we will have fellowship with each other. But unless he knocks and unless you open, there is no fellowship. So it's like that. Or the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus as an act of God. Or the Bible also tells us that it is of God that we are who we are and what we are. So it's God who brings us out of the miry clay, puts us into his courts, and declares that we are his sons and makes us his own, giving us the possibility of knowing him, fellowshipping with him. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's what we're trying to do now, trying to get into all of the details of this so that we can experience what he's saying. That's very important because if we don't, something's wrong. And we want it to be right. So God opened my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Now, second thing about this fellowship that God initiates is that it can be broken. So many people, and I think you would agree with this, so many people think that if you go to church or you've been baptized or you've had some emotional experience and maybe a genuine experience, that's pretty much it as far as how you come to God. And that's pretty much what Christianity is. You had an experience once. And not much emphasis is put on what are you experiencing today and how are you living today. 
Do you have convictions? Does your conscience lead you during the day as that conscience is being renewed? I mean, are you living the way he wants you to live? But most people don't think of it that way. Christianity is going to church, getting baptized, fitting in. But did you know that your fellowship with God can be broken so that you don't have it? What about Isaiah 59 and verse, he said, your sins and your iniquities, it says in so many words, have separated between you and your God that he will not hear. So you really don't have fellowship. If you're talking, he's not listening. How many of you know we don't have fellowship? You ever try to fellowship with somebody that doesn't listen? <laughs> Yourself. That's the way it works. Sometimes you don't listen to somebody and they're talking. You're not fellowshipping. You're talking. But the Bible said your sins. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is in your willful neglect of what you know is right. It's what separates between you and God. So there's no fellowship. So this fellowship can be broken. Why would people sin? Isn't that a simple question? Why would people sin? People sin because they don't fear God. Turn to Psalm 4 for just a moment. Psalm 4. People sin because they do not fear or stand in awe of God. God does not loom big in their life as somebody that you would dread to cross. Is God a consuming fire? In writing about when Moses got the Ten Commandments, Peter was writing about that, and he said, you know, the mountain, when they approached the mountain, the, all this noise and smoke was swirling and trumpets were blaring and, and lightning was flashing. must have been a tremendous noise, and the earth, no doubt, was shaking, and the people drew back, as many people do in terrible storms, and in a certain kind of fear. And goes on to say that God appeared to those people that way that they might fear him. This is who you're dealing with. But see, after a couple of months of forgetting about that, you lose that edge and you no longer fear that God who revealed himself to you. And you start giving yourself liberties in speech and in actions and in things you do, and you begin to sin. And the reason people sin is because they do not fear God. I'm Christians now. Uh, sinners wouldn't know God anyway. But he said, stand in awe and what? And sin not. I would assume if you turn that around, it means if I am standing in awe of God, which is a way of expressing the fear of God, if I'm standing in awe of God, then I will not sin. Or like in Proverbs 3, 7, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Maybe the problem is that basically... Christians have not learned that you must fear the Lord. I don't mean walking around cowering and scared of him all the time, and you, but you got to walk around acknowledging that he is with you, that he is holy, that he cannot tolerate sin, nor can he relate to you if you are unwilling to walk on his terms. Because what he shows you is for good, and he that knows to do good, and he's unwilling to do it, to him, it is sin. You can still go to church. You can preach sermons. You can do all the religious activities that the church world does. You can have the goodness of man and be a sinner. 
That doesn't register with a lot of people, but it's very possible because to most people, Christianity is an experience you had which entitles you to fit into the church and be a member of it, and goodness is interpreted as being good and nice. But that's not Christianity. That's not union with Christ. That's not a relationship with the Lord. The world has so distracted so many people. It's allurements, it's ways, it's opportunities, it's promises. All the false hopes and dreams that the devil gives to a, a world looking for something new every day. Ah, oh, some new exciting adventure. And it's all being given to you every day in glowing lights and presentations and all of this. Oh, and then you go to church and you hear about that's all of the devil. The love of the world makes you an enemy of God. You figure it out. And you got to draw yourself away from the world. You got to crucify the flesh. And we go, oh, why does Christianity have to be so negative? You ever heard that? I have. Why do we have to be so negative? We're not negative. We're just trying to spare you from the wrath to come. This is not the right way to say this, but you're messing with God when you're sinning. And God is obligated because he watches over his word to perform it. He is obligated to judge all sin. That's why he deals with us in the way that he deals with us so he won't have to judge us. That's 1 Corinthians 11. So we will not be condemned along with the rest of this world. So don't get angry when you go home. Just realize that God has given you something that if you'll honor it, it'll spare you from the wrath to come. And all of his goodness can be experienced by you. But now this fellowship, relationship thing, in essence, you got to remember this. I want you to turn to Hosea 6 because there's two verses I want to quote. In essence, fellowship is all about us doing it God's way. Living like he's the boss. Living like he's Lord. Are you with me? Micah said it like this. The Lord has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? Remember that? I'll turn to Hosea 6 if you can find it. The pages are clean back there. No ink marks or nothing. The Lord has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does God require of you in fellowship? What does the Lord require of you? To do justly? Love mercy. And walk humbly with God. Now listen, those are three things. This was a sermon, but it's not going to be. There are three things that will determine whether or not you're walking with God. Whether you're just and fair in all your dealings and put nobody above anybody else, everybody is fair because God does you that way. And merciful, you don't want to see judgment. You, you have compassion and pity. You want to relieve people. That's why people give, because of mercy. Justice. Mercy and humility of life. Undo that braggart mouth and that successful speech and that I'm above and greater and humble yourself before God and realize that without God you are absolutely nothing and walk in gratitude and gratefulness that God drug you out of a miry ditch and cleansed you when you didn't deserve it and brought you into his house. And if he only puts you in the little tiny corner of that house, you're better off than the rest of the whole world. And you walk humbly before God with no boast, no complaints. You shut your mouth and be still and know who he is. The three things. This is how we walk with the Lord. 
Did you find Hosea 6? I was quoting Micah. I said, turn to Hosea 6, didn't I? Thank you. You're welcome. Hosea 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Two things. Mercy, again, and knowledge of God. God says to you, I want you to be merciful people. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your mind off of you. Get it on somebody else. Have mercy on people. If you don't show mercy, you won't get it. And I want you to know who I am, the knowledge of God, more than burnt offerings. I would liken burnt offerings to church activity. For that's what most people base their Christianity on. Look what I do. Look where I've been. Look what I gave. Look what I've said and done. God says more than all the designs of religious man in making people feel good about themselves or their system, I want people that are merciful and people that know their God. Because God said in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout this whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are his, so that he can show himself strong in their behalf. Because this will be God's testimony on this earth, that he lives in you, and it's possible to live like Christ. While there's not much evidence of it, it's got to be in somebody. No wonder God says, I never knew you. Just so many people that are so religiously busy. The big church with the big programs, the big this, the big that, pictures on the wall, what they did, where they built it, how much it was, what we're doing. God says, I want mercy and knowledge. Doesn't mean you leave these other things out, but what I want is not your approving of yourself on how busy you are. I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to have fellowship with him. I want you to walk with him the way he wants you to walk. Now, let me give you five things this morning. This is our subtitle for this, Maintaining Fellowship with God. How do you maintain it? How can I make sure that I do fellowship with God and have union with Christ? How can I do this? This is the most simple message I have ever preached this morning. This will be the most simple five points I think you could come up with. It's simple. I like the simplicity that is in Christ. And yet these things are so profound because they're not heated. That's amazing. Number one about maintaining fellowship with the Lord is hear his word. Do you think everybody that goes into a church meeting or religious setting listens now they hear, it's easy to hear something verbally going on, but how many people listen? How many people, I'm just asking you questions, how many people listen in order to hear and learn? Some people listen because they are sermon prognosticators or they're religious judges of the languages or the pronunciation or the points made or lack of them. But how many people really hear the word of God? I know a lot of churches don't do much about preaching on the word of God, but how many people hear it? There's a verse in Proverbs 18 and verse 15, and it says this, the heart 
of the prudent getteth knowledge. The heart of the prudent, the wise, getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Now, wise men do that. Remember, Jesus said once about a man who built his house on sand as opposed to a man who built his house on the rock. You remember that, Matthew 7, the end of the chapter? But he prefaced that story of the two houses being built and the two foundations of those two houses with this. He says, a man who hears my word and does it, I will liken him unto a man who built his house on a rock. A man who hears my word but does not do it, I will liken him unto a man who built his house on the sand. The whole story is about the difference between those that hear and do. Remember a heed and do sermon a long time ago? Those that hear and do as opposed to those that hear and don't. I've been standing here too many years, maybe literally, but too many years to know that what I'm saying is not true. I know it is. That too many people are here but don't hear. Hear, hear. Remember? H-E-R-E-H-E-A-R. Too many people are not hearing. Too many things have to be repeated over and over and over. And then you hear questions and you hear things in the church and people discuss things. And sometimes you hear it again. And I think, have they ever been here? Have they ever been in a service? You think, well, why are you feeling like that? Because, you know, you labor at some of these things and people still don't get it. You're knocking on the door and nobody's there. We're still doing what we used to do because somehow or the other, the word is not getting in. But Jesus said several times in the Bible that a lot of people have ears to hear, but they don't hear. They have eyes to see, but they don't get it. They don't see what's going on. They don't perceive. So hearing is important. That's why we pray before we get here. Or you should say, God, open my eyes this morning. Illumine me so that I might bring out of this meeting this morning something I had not in my heart when I got there. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, so that I can walk in your truth. How else can I fellowship with God? I can't say I hear because I'm busy and doing this and doing that and writing books about all these. I can't say I'm fellowshipping with the Lord, making a name for myself or for the system, but I'm not fellowshipping with the Lord. Hearing of the word is not a premium in the church today. People don't like to listen to the word. It brings conviction when it's the word. When God anoints it, it makes you uneasy at times. It makes you uncomfortable. But everybody that God is going to bring into his kingdom, he's going to chastise them. He is. And he's going to deal with us. So he gives us his word. That's how we start. Somebody said once, God gave us two ears and one mouth, and we ought to spend twice as much time listening as we do talking. I think that's pretty good. Another great philosopher somewhere said that... A man does not hear a lot with his mouth open. We like to talk about a lot of things. I don't know how much we listen to, but there's some good things there to be said about that. You listen to his word, and what do you hear? Well, you can hear me not only read the scripture, but you can hear me give you what I think it says. And that's when I believe when you're listening, the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you to make it personal. Is that true what he said? 
Is that what the Bible means? Well, I know that's what he said, but now, you know, he's never been to school. Well, with the Moorhead, but I mean, he's never been to, you know, a Bible school. How do you know that what he said is true or not? Well, isn't that a prompting for you to search the scriptures for yourself to see if it's true? And if when you're searching the scriptures yourself and you're reading this Bible, when you read scripture, what are you reading? Are you not reading what God says? Is he not the author of this? Notice on the bulletin board out there, there's a lot of things that people have written, some thank you notes, a way of saying thank you. Now, when you read those notes, when you go out there and you read that, can you hear a voice? Can you hear the people who wrote those thank you notes speaking? No, you read words. Because you've been educated, you know what those words mean, you understand it. It's somebody saying thank you, but they're words. If I wrote a letter to you, it's like me speaking to you. I'm speaking to you now. I'm not writing to you, so you don't have to read this, but you can hear this. But when I write something, when anybody writes something down, that's what they want you to hear in your mind. So you read this book. It's God. It's his word. He's the author of it. And when you read this, it's what he says. If we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's God speaking. It's not an audible You can't even tell what kind of voice that God has, but you can hear yourself saying it on the inside. You read words and you hear yourself saying those words. You don't have to mumble. You don't have to repeat it. Your mind speaks it. Nobody else can hear it, but you can hear it. And you can see what it says. Because everything that you've learned in English has a picture to go with it. If you don't have a picture, you don't have any understanding. That's why some complicated words can be used that sound pretty heady and pretty smart, like prognosticate. But if you don't know what that word means, you're wasting time with the people because it didn't do them any good. Do you understand that? So you use words that are simple. I like the fact that God speaks very simply to us. From salvation to the coming of Christ, everything is simple. Now, we don't like to just preach simple sermons. We like to make it more profound. It makes us sound more intelligent. But we read this word, it's God speaking to us. It's what he says. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Now who's going to hear what he has to say? His sheep. John 10, 3. He said, my sheep will hear my voice. They will not follow the voice of another. So if I'm going to relate to God, I've got to know what he says, don't I? I've got to know what he said. I've got to have some words. I can't make up a good way to live and be noble in all of its expression. I have got to know the way he wants me to live. Now, I know the way he wants me to live as I read this word. And when I'm reading it myself, I can hear me on the inside reading it. I understand the words. It may be my voice I'm hearing, but they're his words. It's God speaking. We take all of this for granted. The creative power of the whole world is sitting in our laps, in our ancestors' laps for a thousand years, and we take it for granted. Most printed book in the world, least read. Everybody owns a copy. And almost nobody approaches it as, this is the word of God. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from this law. 
Good instruction came in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. When you go into the house of God, be more apt to listen than to do something else. Because when we come together, let me give you some good advice. We're much better off hearing what God says than hearing what we say. We're much better off knowing what he said than knowing what I said. Come in here, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Psalm 66. Come in here. So listening and hearing the word of God is a simple thing. We have opportunity to do it every week. Some don't want to do it every week. Some don't want to do it but once a week. Some maybe twice a month. People come and go when they want to because they don't want to hear what you are going to say. That's why people don't come. I mean, if you're living here and you can't, I know you can't, some of you live so far away, you can't always do it. But I'm just saying, people, if they wanted, needed the word, needed to hear the word, they'd be here. Now, I just say that because it is true. But we want to hear his word because that's what he's given us to illumine us with. Listen at these words in James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Listen, pay attention, hear what he has to say. Remember the sword and the seed? Now there's a warning there. Because the seed that fell on the hard ground, the seed that fell on the stony soil, and the seed that fell on the good soil, in describing all of these different kinds of ways that people hear the word of God, it says they all heard the word. The reaction of this one was like this. The reaction of this one was like this. It was good for a while, but then after a while, because of persecution, they were offended. They quit. Now, they heard it. They were delighted by it, but when it began to cost them something, they gave it up. But they heard it. Then the Bible says those that heard it on the good soil were those who heard it and kept it, and they bore fruit unto eternal life. The effect it had brought them into that relationship with God whereby he increased and they decreased. You bear fruit, it means Christian spiritual fruit. He increases, you decrease. But it all begins with hearing. Now, what do we have this morning? An opportunity to hear. I assume that God anoints ministries in this hour and throughout all of church history in order to give people something to listen to. That makes sense to me. That God would bring somebody from wherever they are, anoint somebody wherever they were, and bring them and assemble them before the people that God has saved so that people of God can hear something in particular that God has to say in a special way that he gives some people to say it. Now, the opportunity is there, but it goes back to what we said about fellowship. If you don't want to hear it, you won't. If you do want to hear it, nobody can keep you out of here. If you're hungry for it, you'll pray, you'll seek the Lord, you'll desire earnestly what he has to say. If not, maybe we ought to teach on forgetfulness. A second thing is to read his word. Again, I can repeat what I've already said about when I read his word, I hear him. But what do I read? 
he begins to describe to me in the reading of his word who he is, his attributes. God begins to unveil for those that seek facts about him that are lofty, that make you subscribe to who he is and in a respectful and a fearful way. You realize that God is faithful. The very definition of faithfulness comes from God. He is good, his goodness. His mercy is everlasting. He is kind and compassionate. He is almighty. He is all-knowing. He is all-everything. There's nothing else that can be related or compared to God. He is God. He said there is no other. What kind of effect does that have on us? I know some people can hear to some theological treatise, but is it a truth? Is God who he says he is? Will he judge this earth fairly? Is he just? Is he good? Is he fair? Will he not reach a just and right verdict with each one of us? Are we not all going to stand before a just and a holy God and give an account? Are we not? He has all the records. He's forgotten nothing. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last month. He knows what you're thinking right now. There's nothing hidden from God. You can't go too deep. You can't go too high. You can't go anywhere that he's not already there. I don't know if you've ever been to the Creation Museum, you know that the sun that our earth goes around is so little that it can't even show up. The little speck that we call the sun, that this little incy teensy wincy thing goes around the sun, that's called the earth. It's got a little bitty tiny moon. And there's little spots and little specks, little atom-sized specks on this earth, and that's you and me. Can you imagine in all the scope of things, what is man that you are mindful of him? Do you suppose as we read this and we stop for just a little while and do some thinking that it would affect us? Would we ever say, my God in heaven, who am I? What am I? Who are we? We don't have enough of the big words to describe who you really are. Now, a lot of that comes from those who want to know more about him than just a Sunday sermon, so they begin to read. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, and speaking of that particular book, the last book in the Bible, it says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. God said he will bless you for reading a book. How about that? How many people read it? How many Christians have ever read the book of Revelation? I don't know. I don't want to say how many I think, because that would sound rude, but it would not be a compliment. God says, I will bless those who read this and who do it. And yet, people don't read it. We'll read a comic book, we'll read a romance novel, or we'll read books Christian books or stuff. We read the paper every day. We read publications and knitting books or gun books or fishing books or touring books, but we don't read that. And those books can't bless you. This one can. Something is probably wrong. Something hasn't registered yet with God's people. In the book of Nehemiah, 
in chapter 8, the Bible says they gathered together and they made a box for Ezra to get upon. And he stood up before all the people so they could see him. And they had scattered throughout these several thousand people, Levites who were instructors in the law, and they were gathered throughout. And Ezra read from the morning till midday, and all the people stood to hear the word of God being read. They stood to their feet when it was, it was that kind of respect they had. They stood up, Ezra opened the scrolls, and he began to read. And he read from morning till midday. Whew, how big a church would you have if we did that? Well, let me ask you a question. How exciting was that? In terms of what we're presented in the world, it'd be exciting. how exciting would it be to hear somebody read the word? One of the great sermons in history, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. It was said that he simply read it. He just simply opened his sermon up and stood there and read the sermon, and people just gasped for air. Great conviction came. Which goes to show you this, that, you know, God doesn't need a lot of drama. He doesn't need a lot of flash and sophistication. He just needs a willing vessel, and sometimes for the vessel just to get out of the way of taking the credit for it and just read. And God makes people follow their faces to get saved. And now we would today say, well, that's a dull church. Read from the morning until midday. How many hours would that be? Five, six, three? That's a long time. And they all stood there. And while they would read, the teachers out there or these Levites would tell them what that means. Why? Because God wants us to know him. We know him that way. How can we follow somebody we don't know? How can we relate to somebody we don't know? How many people are saved by a stranger? How many people have as a savior a stranger? They don't know him. Not interested in knowing a whole lot about him. It seems like that a lot of people are like that. Jeremiah said, you shall find me when your hunger for me begins to make you search for me with all your heart. In Jeremiah 29, he said, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. It just depends on how bad we as Christians want this. Maybe an hour a week is enough, but for many people, that's not going to work. It's like going down here at McDonald's Sunday morning and get me a cinnamon roll. A knockout, a home run. Wow! And that's it for the week? Huh. Well, you'd die. If you only had one cinnamon roll a week, you wouldn't be here long. But, see, that's a natural illustration. What about a spiritual one? People who hear the word once a week very seldom investigate it to see if what they heard is right or not. Not spiritually profound or strong people. Some of them just languish. Well, that brings me to a third thing. Not only do we hear his word and read his word, but hopefully think his word. Think about it. Ponder it. Read it. Listen to it. Hear what you hear. Read what you read. I told you this is real simple. I don't want to embarrass you all this morning if you brought a visitor. This is how we relate to God. This is how we maintain fellowship. I hear what he has to say. I read to make sure. And then before I jump in, I want to think about this. 
I need a little time every day. If I can find me a little time, maybe noon, maybe at night, maybe in the morning, I need a little time every day to give God all the space in my mind just to be still. As Paul said, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are of a good report and so forth, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Listen to it. Think about it. What about that? What about that? Do you really suppose God would do that for me? Well, now he said he will. I know he would, but it doesn't look like very many people have this experience. Okay, but you can't say that God doesn't do something because he didn't do it for somebody because how do you know they're in harmony with the Lord? Quit judging what God does on what he did for somebody else. This is what you think. What about you? Will he do it for you? What would keep God from healing your body and giving you health? What would prevent God from blessing your steps, guiding your steps the rest of your way through life? A blessing you when you go out and blessing you when you come in. Whatever you put your hands to, causing it to prosper. Why would God do that? What can I do as a person to put myself in the place that God is so pleased with me that he singles me out for blessing? Or is that possible? Well, the preacher said, good, good, good. I'm glad the preacher said it, but is it true? Well, how do you know it's true? It isn't true because I said it, is it? Well, then how do you know it's true? Nothing is true because I said it or they said it. It's true because the Bible says it. But that truth has to be revealed to you. And that truth is what brings your life into a changing moment, a defining moment. You're becoming more and more what he wants. And what does he want? To have fellowship with his son. And as we walk that way, we have fellowship with each other because we're seeking the same God, having the same experiences. There's too many people that don't do that and to try to get along and have fellowship. Oh, let's get together. You got people that know oh, this because nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. You're talking about good people. But I'm going to brag just a little bit. I speak as a fool, Paul says. I said the best people I've ever known in my life, the people I preach to every week, I fuss at them and holler at them, the best folks I ever saw. If I didn't care about it, I wouldn't preach to them. Leave them alone, let them all go their own way. We wouldn't judge nothing here in this church. Of course, it wouldn't matter to some of you if we did. But we'd just leave everything alone. Let it go. Wouldn't matter. Because we hear what we want to hear. Read what we want to read. Think the way we want to think. Turn to Psalm 1. We'll get fired up here in a minute. If Jesus comes in five minutes, I sure hope we're ready. Don't you? Psalms 1. Blessed is the man. You want to be blessed? Three things you don't do, negative things. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the way of sinners. You don't fellowship with people like that. You don't ignore what God says about people like that and do it anyway. If you want to be blessed. But his delight, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate when? 
He doth meditate day and night. Meditate means what? Ponder. It's to think deeply. You're given something to think about. Let's assume that you're here this morning having been given something to think about. Now, those who think about if God inspired that, those who think about that and not about the delivery of how much longer is he going to preach and why did she wear that hat and who's that over the... If you think about the gospel, the word of God that you've heard and you're pondering it, it means that you spend time thinking about it. I think it's good for all of you to realize, all of us to realize that we should spend more time thinking. Just turn off all the electronic gadgets and think. Just think about what you've been hearing. How many years have you been hearing it? Where are you now in light of all those years you've been listening and coming? Where are you now? Where's your life now? Are you struggling more now than you used to? Then what's gone on? Is there not power in the word to correct you? Is there not enough power in the word? Didn't James say something about the engrafted word received with meekness, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls? The word can do that. You got to let it in. And you begin to refresh yourself with that. And you begin to ponder that. Read Psalm 119. It's full of this. About the power and the effect of the word of God. So you begin to think about it. You begin to dwell on it. It says in Psalm 10, 4, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Should he be in all of our thoughts? Should he? Of course he should. When will he be in all of our thoughts? When we give our mind to his thoughts. Thinking about things. That's why fathers should be godly men. And when their children, their sons, and their daughters are with them, and they see things happening, it's a prompting from God to explain to your child what this is and why you don't want them to be like that. You're not making yourself better than anybody else. You just see that the reason people do that, act that way, drive that way, dress that way. You know, the young man that walked into the speedway the other morning, he had black shorts on with a white band around the waist. You know how to know what color shorts he had on? Because his sweatpants were about that far down from where they should be. And you have to walk around like this all the time. You know why you would tell your child not to do that? Because that's indecent exposure. They used to arrest people for acting that way. That's a spirit. That's an unclean spirit in that man. Or that girl that likes to reveal herself, that's an unclean spirit. That's what we've been hearing. See, when we talk about now, right, there's evidence of it. Now, when you do that, it's because you gave place somewhere in your life to want to be like that. And there's a devil. There's a real spirit behind all of that. And people who steal and lie and cheat. And you explain this to your kids because God is in all of your thoughts. You're a thinking man. Godly parents. Parents whose thoughts are about God, to bring God into their home and bring their home unto God. To just dwell on it. Years ago, there used to be a little saying, well, you get so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Great. 
so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know what that was supposed to mean? Quit thinking about God so much. Think about the devil a little more. Think about all the bad news and the trash in this world. Listen to talk shows more. Listen to what's wicked and evil and what causes you to act ugly and violate the word. No, you got God in all your thoughts. You recognize who's behind all of that. You don't do that no more. You go to church once a week, and that's all you go, and you go home. You don't even know what you're listening to. But when this begins to take an effect upon your life, it begins to get in there and begin to work. You begin to change. Remember what God said to Joshua about success in life? Maybe you don't, but in Joshua chapter 1, they're about to go into the promised land. He said, now, Joshua, here's the way it works. He said, you take this book of the law and you meditate on it day and night. You ponder this book. You think about the content of this book and, and read the history how God honored those who did. Now, you do that. You live like that. I'll honor you just as I did them because I'm no respecter of persons, whether in Shelbyville, Kentucky, or somewhere in Israel. And he said, Joshua, you meditate on this book day and night, and I will bless you and bring you good success in anything you do. Should we want that? Well, I sure do. I think it'd be great if Tom and Bonnie could have godly success in our life. Money doesn't do that. It's a relationship that relieves the pressure of the world. It brings peace and comfort and safety from God. It's the assurance that you know in whom you have believed and that you are persuaded because of the effect of this word. That's the way it works. Maybe we ought to memorize the word more. Now, I don't have a good memory. You don't? You know, you don't have a good memory, yet you can pick up that phone and them thumbs, start remembering all of those numbers. You can tell me numbers of this. You know your social security number. You might know your husband's. You know what your kid's number is. And you know addresses from here to there, aunts and uncles. You went to school. You can remember so many facts about history, but you can't remember the Word of God. It was important to me, at least, years ago as a teacher, in order to substantiate what I'm talking about when I'm talking to people, that I wanted to memorize the Word. I graduated in the middle of my class. I was never a smart person. I never had any brilliance about me. And I still don't. You're welcome. Say amen. <laughs> Thank you. Never been acknowledged for, never wrote a book, wouldn't know how to start, couldn't put the right footnotes in and get sued. <laughs> I am not even interested in that. Not even interested in it. I just like to know in whom I have believed. You'd steal my Bible, take it away from me. I'd still like to be able to tell you what's in there and where it's at. Somebody comes up and says, well, where does it say that? I would really like to be able to know where that's at. Because it lets people know that what's important to you is so important that you've spent a lot of time thinking about it and committing it to your memory. The books of the Bible. How many people really know the books of the Bible? You're not going to get a test on that. Nobody here is going to be on a game show. They're never going to ask you that anyway. But wouldn't it be good to be familiar with that? Job 22 says, Acquaint now thyself with God and be at peace with him. 
Draw nigh to God. What will he do? He will draw nigh to you. Think about it. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The same psalm said, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, and forget not all his benefits, all the wonderful things that God has given. He says to us, don't forget it. I mean, take time to memorize and remember the word. Take time at your breakfast, dinner, supper, and for bed, wherever you do your time with the Lord. One verse at a time. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of God, sitteth in the sinner, sit in the seat of the scorner, stand in the sinner. Okay, blessed is the man that walk, walks, sit, and stand, walks, stand, sit. Okay, let me get that right. Wouldn't that be good for you? Are you not allowing God access to your mind? Are you not accessing God's word to put in your mind? Thy word have I hid in my heart. It would be good for all of us. Now, here's a warning about this, though. In Romans 1, 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. See, there are those who do not like to retain God in their knowledge. It's embarrassing if you're in a crowd where you have to take a stand or pray over your food when you're with a bunch of heathens. I've been there. It's not comfortable at all. I'm not so bold that I jump up and say, all right, all you heathens, hush, I'm fixing to pray. I usually just shut my eyes and bow my head and just simply say, God, I give you thanks for this food in Jesus' name. I'm not trying to make a show or anything else. I was in a hunting camp in Idaho years ago, and they caught me doing that. And, of course, they were just roping it in. And they said, uh, Mr. Hamilton, aren't you a preacher? Yes, I am. He said, wait, wait a minute, everybody quit eating. And we were in a big tent and said, Mr. Hamilton, won't you have prayer for him? For, and then every night, I, good. That's good. At least I could, you know, get it out. Let's get it out. And anybody wants to talk. Everybody then wants to talk about God. I knew a preacher wasn't in all that stuff, you know. <laughs> but think about it. Memorize it. Ponder it. And then speak his word. So much of our Christian life has to do with speaking. That's what I'm doing now. That's what you do to your children along the way. That's what we do when we witness to people. It's what we do when we pray. We speak. It was God who said in Isaiah 43 and 26, he said, Put me in remembrance. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Speak back to God. Speak his word to him. Put him in remembrance. Didn't he say that? All right, turn over there. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 and verse 26. What does it say? Put me in remembrance. Has God forgotten? Well, come on. He must have forgotten what he said because he said, remind him of what he said. No, you don't think like that. Put me in remembrance, God said. What have I said? How many times have we argued or, let's say, discussed matters with other people? Said, well, what did I say? You ever said that? Heard that? Sure you have. You ever told your children that? If you have children? Well, what did I say? You told them to go do something. Remember, you give them instructions. Go do this. Go do that. And they haven't done it. And mamas say that. What did I tell you? 
Now, uh -huh, we got that. What did mama say? Don't you remember? Then you get a spanking, you get punished or something for it because you didn't listen. Well, he said, speak the word. Isaiah 43, 26, put me in remembrance. Why? Because God wants you to speak back to him what you put in your heart. They didn't have Bibles they carried around then. They didn't carry around scrolls. We're talking about a time in history that people didn't have the Old Testament recorded like you have it. When he said, put me in remembrance, he's assumed that you've been taught by the priest these words. Have you forgotten them? Psalm 103. How many people carried the Psalms around with them when they went to market? How many people laid a Psalm up on the dash of their cart when they went to the store? How many people carried scrolls around in big bags of scrolls, the Old Testament? Nobody. Nobody had that. Nobody did. This is written to people that have only heard this. That's all they got is what somebody taught them. That's all. The Levites were the teachers, and that's what they believed. That's why God had so many harsh things to say about the prophets who were misleading people. But God said, put me in remembrance. What have I told you? What have I taught you? Remind me of it. Declare thou, he said, that you may be justified. And then you read somebody like Solomon, who went into the temple when he became the king. And he said, oh God, if there's ever pestilence or the enemy invades us, or any kind of problem that comes our way to destroy us, we will assemble in this house and we will cry unto you because you have said. And then one day there was Jehoshaphat. Had a million, three armies coming up against him down from where the Dead Sea Scrolls are coming up that way. And they told him, and Jehoshaphat, he went out before he got them all together. They went to church, what we call church. They went to the temple. And Jehoshaphat quoted the Bible. He said, Lord, you have said, you gave this land to us for an inheritance. You gave it to your friend Abraham, we're your children. You told us to build and live here and raise our children here, that you would bless us. Lord, you have given us this land. This is our inheritance. And now behold how these armies are coming up against us from the south to take away from us what you've given to us. We have no might against these people. We can't fight people that big. Our eyes are upon you. Wow. Where did he learn that? Well, it was determined that when a king became the king, and in Deuteronomy 17, when a man became a king, he was to write for himself a copy of the Bible in the presence of the priest. He had to do That's part of his job. He had to write it all out in hand. He had his own personal copy. They should. They're supposed to. And God allowed them to retain the memory of some of this. And so when the king began to rule, he was a man that he knew the whole section, the whole part of the Old Testament that we call it. He stood before God and he said, now you've said, you said. Historically, I look back, look what you did here, look what you did there, look what you did there. Now we're here wanting the same thing. And my daddy, Asa, he went out and fought a million Ethiopians. A lot of those folks died. They fought as warriors and they fought as soldiers and a lot of them died as they always do. But you gave him the victory. But Lord, we have no might. 
And God said to him, on the basis of that kind of faith, you need not fight and nobody will die and a million soldiers will die. I like it that way. But see, he learned that. I mean, that was what he had read in the Bible. That's what he spoke. He spoke it back unto God. You witness when you witness to other people and you quote the Bible. Don't do it to try to impress them. It just shows to them how much you love the word that you want them to believe in a meek and humble way. I remember in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16, then they that feared the Lord spoke often to one another and the Lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. God is listening to our conversations too. And finally, in closing, it's what we speak on here the most. You want a fellowship with God? This one is essential, absolutely necessary. You must be doers of his word. We have no favor with God if we're not faithful. Amen? If we're not faithful, we have no favor. I don't care how much you know. The Pharisees knew more about it than anybody, and they had the least amount of favor. They were the most criticized by the Lord for their lifestyle. And they were the Christian or the spiritual leaders. He gave them no credit for all they memorized. Paul knew as much as they did. He was a leader of Pharisees and he said, I count it all but dung. That's how low he gave himself. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm least of the apostles. I'm the worst of the worst. And God chose me. And everything I thought was so important for me to have and to be and and my stature in life and who I am, I count it all but dung so that I can serve Christ because I can't serve him thinking I'm somebody. I've got to humble myself under the mighty hand of God and I've got to be faithful and loyal to him. The great evidence of your faith in God is obedience. And the great evidence of your union with Christ is your faithfulness. Now you judge that. All of you judge that. Whether or not you have fellowship with the Lord is whether or not you are faithful. Amen. Now I'm closing. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship or association, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? Do you believe we must take a stand about things like that? Is it important? Let me tell you why it's important about who you run with and who you tolerate in your running and all the excuses and reasons that you give and all your running. He said, What fellowship is righteous with unrighteous? What communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with the devil? Fellowship, communion, concord, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Fellowship, communion, concord, and agreement. Listen to this, all of you. You've been here a long, long time. Wherefore, come out from among them And be if you want union, if you want a fellowship with Jesus, come out from among all of them and be ye separate, 
Same word separate was used when Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you and separate you from their company. They put you out. He said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and so shall you be my sons and daughters. Now, in closing this series with that, let me remind you, all of you, if we want to have a relationship with Jesus, it is on his terms. They are clearly spelled out in the scripture. We have no excuse. We must have a willingness to make a choice because a relationship is a choice. God beckons, we respond. We can let nothing get in the way. If we want him to be our God and we want to walk in light, we have to make that choice. We have this freedom because of what Jesus did for us. As we approach this communion table this morning, I want you in your hearts to give thanks to God that such a person as you has been allowed to come into his presence and that he is willing to open up to you his good treasure, his word. And his good treasure and his word is his son, Jesus, in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister to us this morning, O oh God, by your Spirit, these wonderful truths that you've given to us that only the Spirit can cause us to understand. Make us to see the depth and the meaning of it. And again, I pray for courage amongst us to make the good and hard decisions that we have to make and find favor with God. And I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.